So welcome to another podcast from the Royal College of Psychiatrists. My name is Raj Pasord, and I'm a consultant psychiatrist at the Bethlehem Royal and Maudsley Hospitals in South London. I'm joined today by Dr. Tamsin Ford. She's a senior lecturer based at the Institute of Psychiatry, which is part of King's College London, and she specialises in child and adolescent psychiatry. She and some co-authors, also at the Institute of Psychiatry and one at Leicester University, have published a very interesting paper in the British Journal of Psychiatry, the April issue, and the title of the paper is Psychiatric Disorder Among British Children Looked After by Local Authorities, Comparison with Children Living in Private Households. So, first of all, Tamsin, why is this an important subject? Why are we interested in the mental health of children looked after by local authorities? Well, common sense would dictate that this are, these are a high-risk group of children. They are in the care of the local authorities rather than living with their own parents or relatives. Um, and they're a group that have been left out of most of the other big surveys. So they're a neglected group as well as a high-risk group. But are they also a large group? Are there a large number of children being looked after by local authorities? Um, each individual authority varies. For example, in Croydon, where I do a clinic, there are 700 children who are looked after. Um, I know from another research study I'm involved with in um, another part of London, there are about 300. So borough by borough they vary, but if you tot up all the boroughs in the country, these are kid, there are a large number. Also, they have a very poor outcome as adults. Um, so, for example, the um, Department of Health Mental Health Survey of people in prisons revealed that a very large proportion of them were leavers of local authority care. So it seems logical to, rather than looking in the prisons, to go back to the children themselves. And when you refer to local authority care, could you say a bit more about what you're referring to? What kind of care is this? What kind of situation are these children in? Well, our study is unusual because it's taken children in the range of placements. So going right from children who are under local authority care but are living with relatives. This is a situation known as kinship care um, and is very common in Scotland, not used very much in England and Wales, right up to children who are on remand or indeed serving sentences in secure social services secure accommodation, so locked units where they have no liberty to leave. And why do children end up in local authority care? What's the pathway by which they end up there? The vast majority of children um, go in because of um, concerns about neglect, emotional, physical or sexual abuse. Um, There are other occasions where there's some kind of family crisis like the death of a single parent and there isn't another relative around who can take on um, caring for the child. Um, And there are some cases of of severe financial hardship or a a mother or or father with a a mental or physical disability who voluntarily places their child in care. So not all these children in care are there because the state says they have to be. A proportion of them are voluntarily accommodated. So from those reasons, um, one would have thought it, it would be very surprising in a way if there wasn't a very high rate of psychiatric illness, just thinking about the reasons why people end up in local authority care. But um, so is your study an attempt to determine whether we can tell the difference between the reasons as being the cause of mental illness, the reasons people end up in care, the kind of background, often the very troubled background these children come from, or whether it's the care itself, there's something about the local authority care which is causing a high rate of psychiatric illness? 
We couldn't look at that directly because we measured both at the same time. Um, so it was a cross-sectional study. And in order to tease those variables about uh, apart, then you would have to follow people over time. Um, but we thought it was important that we documented the level of um, psychiatric disorder. I mean, yes, it's not rocket science that they have high rates, but we don't know how high, and that's important if you're planning services. So, for example, in Croydon, where I work, they're introducing a specialist team to four children who are looked after, but they've staffed it with two whole-time equivalents, which, if there are 700 children in the bar, according to our results, about 350 will have psychiatric disorders. Well, you know, the math doesn't add up. So that there's a service planning element to this. But also we took advantage of the fact that this study used the same measures and the same team of researchers as big national studies of children living in, in private households. And so then we could start looking at the etiological factors, the things in people's backgrounds that might account for psychiatric disorder to see how much was shared between the kids who are in local authority care and the kids who are living with their parents. And what comes out of our study is that, yes, the children with, who were looked after have very high rates of psychiatric disorder, although I should say it was under a half. So the, one of the take-home messages is over half of them are not doing too badly. They also had much higher rates of learning disabilities, um, so educational deprivation and educational problems than even the de most deprived um, kids living in private households. They also had much worse physical health. And I'm sure there were lots of things that we couldn't measure because one of the problems of studying children who were looked after is their historical background gets lost very quickly with rapid changes of social workers. I'm sure that there are other um, important risk factors that they have much higher risk for. But some of the issues to do with being in care, like lots of changes of placement, how old you were you, when you came into care, what type of placement you were in, all seem to be associated with having a psychiatric disorder. So there are hints there that actually we're not doing these children any favours sometimes. We're, we're not looking after them well enough. Let's go back, though, to how you actually conducted the study. Let's mm -hmm. talk a little bit about the methodology that was used. We... Um, used an interview called the Development and Wellbeing Assessment, which is an interesting research assessment, or at least I think so, because it combines the best of a very structured and therefore very reliable method with a more clinical, open-ended approach. So children, if they were aged 11 or over, and their carer were interviewed face-to-face -face with this structured interview and teachers, if the child was in school and if they agreed, um, were sent a, a postal questionnaire which they could fill in. In addition to these very rigid questions which are very closely related to the diagnostic criteria that you need for ICD-10 and DSM-4, so it's as good as bad or bad as the classification is, if there are problems, the person who's answering is asked to give details in their own word. And then these are put together by a small team of very experienced psychiatrists who then make a diagnosis as one would in the clinic. Because the problem with trying to assess children psychologically is that you need several informants because people are very different at school than they are at home. And sometimes there are reasons for that. Um, but if you have three or two informants, they don't always agree with each other. 
And in research, you have a problem. Because do you say that a problem is there only if the teacher, the carer, and the child says it's there? Or do you say it's there um, if any of them say it's there? And you're obviously going to get very different rates of a psychiatric disorder depending on what you choose. And you can't really have a rigid rule for that because that's not how life is. Whereas in the clinic, you make a sophisticated judgment based on the quality of the data you're getting. So maybe you have an adolescent who, um, a young person who denies any problems whatsoever, but they're sitting there with tears in their eyes and their teacher says, well, their academic grades have plummeted and their carer says um, that they're not going out and seeing their friends anymore. I would tend to believe the adults in that case and, and suspect that this young person was putting a brave face on things. But sometimes it's the other way around. The young person will divulge things to you that the carers and the teachers are unaware about. So you, so you need to have all three and you need to be able to balance them in a sophisticated way. And I think this particular assessment um, was a very good way of doing that. And it was used in both surveys. So it's the same measure by the same team used in both surveys, which I think is a particular strength. And although the sample of looked after children, um, which was sort of just over one and a half thousand, may not sound big. It is by way the biggest study of these children that anyone's done um, for various reasons. They're um, an emotive group. People get very protective of them. At the time we were trying to set up the study, it was just after the inquiries in Wales into systematic child abuse. We had to go to every single MREC in the country because this was national. The photocopying cost over £26,000 and filled, filled a room. Um, and I think Howard Meltzer, who's one of the authors, actually had to go and present to several of the ethics committees. And, of course, they all had different issues um, with different bits of it. So, actually, it's a miracle that this study actually got done. And those kind of problems, um, and about who, who can give consent for these children, because some of them are in the care of the state. Is it the social worker? Is it the director of social services? Or if there are voluntarily accommodated parental responsibilities shared by social services and biological parents. It's a minefield and people have actually just avoided working with these kids because they see it as too complicated. But I think that's unfair to this vulnerable group that has very large needs. But you also needed a comparison group, didn't you? You were comparing mm -hmm. them with another group. Tell me about, a bit about the comparison group. The comparison group were the children from a very large um, Department of Health-funded survey um, carried out in 1999 of over 10,500 children. And this, again, was aimed at planning services. So although there had been high-quality studies in other countries, there hadn't been this kind of large survey done in this country. And the adult mental health measures had been used with young people aged 16 and up, um, but the under-16s we didn't know anything about. So children were selected via the Child Benefit Register, um, which um, is almost universally up to, I think it's something like 99-point-something percent of parents will be collecting child benefit. When you calculate in sort of inaccurate records, we think we had coverage of just over 90% of the British population. Um, so having got them via the child benefit register, we selected them via postcodes and then spread it evenly over the countries, including the highlands of, and islands of Scotland. So interviewers were sent out a, you know, a long way. So what age groups are we talking about? The um, national 
um, survey for the children living with um, their parents was for children of age 5 to 15, whereas um, children can be accommodated by the local authority up to the age of 18. So we, we did go up to the age of, well, 17. So we, you know, once you were 18, you're too old, but up to 17 we kept them in the study. Although obviously the, where we compare the two groups, we take the 16 and 17-year-olds out. But there were some differences, weren't there, in terms of basic demographics between the, the, the two groups you're comparing. What, what were they? Well, the looked-after children were older, um, and that meant we had to um, adjust our analysis slightly because the older you are, the more likely you are to have a psychiatric disorder anyway. But I thought there were also differences, for example, in terms of race. Well, I think the private household survey was very carefully selected to represent the um, population of Britain. So we aim for about 5% of young people and children from black and ethnic minorities, and that's what we got. Um, whereas the local authorities were fairly sure that the children in care are representative of the children in care, and yes, there was a slightly higher. It depended country by country. Um, in Scotland and Wales, there were very few children from black and ethnic minorities. But in the English sample, yes, there was a, a higher proportion of children from black and ethnic minorities. Backgrounds, proportion by proportion. So um, what kind of psychiatric disorders are we talking about that you found the much higher rate of? The range, the absolute range. Being looked after was particularly associated with the types of disorders that have a kind of social um, construction, so conduct disorder or behaviour problems in, in lay language um, were particularly common, but also post-traumatic stress disorder. But I think the rates of the neurodevelopmental disorders, such as ADHD and autistic spectrum disorders, were also raised. So it's not just, um, you know, um, it's not just the kind of social side of things. And I think it's a reflection of the fact that these children are very, very difficult to care for. And if you're a family already under stress, you might be coping with your kids who don't have too many problems. And then you have a child who has severe neurodevelopmental problems and, and the family kind of caves in. What factors did you find in your, in your research that were particularly linked in terms of being looked after by local authorities with higher rates of psychiatric distress? I mean, one factor that seemed to come out, for example, was when placements broke down frequently. Yeah, Mul multiple. Uh, it worked both ways. If you had been in a placement for four years or more, you were less likely to have a psychiatric disorder, whereas if you'd had multiple placements within the last... I think it was a year or two years we looked at, you were more likely to have a psychiatric disorder. However, this is a cross-sectional study, and you can argue it both ways. It may be that the um, children and young people with a psychiatric disorder are more likely to bust open their placements because they're harder to look after. Or it could be that you're more likely to develop psychological difficulties if you've had to cope with a transition in placement. Or, as I suspect that the fact is, it's probably a feedback loop so that a child's psychological difficulties get amplified if a placement breaks down, but the placement is more likely to break down if the child has difficulties when they first go into it. These children, you said, often go on when they, when they leave care to, to end up causing major problems to society. Um, do you think it's possible because um, you would have met some of these children, to be, be pretty confident in the prediction 
that they're going to end up in prison, let's say. I mean, do you kind of see a, you know, a train wreck waiting to happen, as it were? Sometimes, clinically, sometimes. But I think I'm constantly amazed at the resilience of the young people I see clinically. I, I do work a day a week in a team for children who are looked after. What was the most surprising finding? Well, I don't think any of it was terribly surprising, but I think it was very gratifying to be able to pull out and to show to people that, you know, the educational disadvantage is there, the poor physical health is is there, you know, just to point out the level of needs that these children get, because I think quite often, um, you know, quite often these kids... They, they don't get a very very good service from anyone. You know, they're, they cause mayhem when they're in school, so when they don't turn up, everyone heaves a sigh of relief rather than going out and finding out why they're not at school. Um, because they move around a lot, it takes time to get registered with a GP, their immunisations aren't often up to date, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it was, you know, because of the breadth of this survey, we were able to point at, you know, just what a level of need there is out there for these children. But I was surprised by your finding of the the relatively low rate of of mental illness, actually, um, because previous surveys have found rates as high as approaching 90% of children in some kind of care uh, in terms of the rates of psychiatric distress. Are you concerned that maybe your low finding is an artefact of the methodology that you deployed? Were you confident about that number? No, I think we're fairly confident, you know, as confident as you can be about a number. Um, I think... um, the studies that have found much higher rates, I think it's partly about the timing. Some of them were assessing kids as they came into care. Now, obviously, if you've just been removed from this fam- these family, and for people who don't work with looked-after children, it might be um, very surprising to know that actually when they're 18, a lot of them go back to their families. Um, so the bond with their family, even if it's a horrendous situation, is often very strong. So you can imagine at the point of being taken away from that, even if you're ambivalent about it you're going to be in quite a lot of psychological distress and it's not the best time to assess people Um, whereas our sample was based on returns made to the department of health of children who (coughs) excuse me children who were already in care Um, the other thing is that studies that have used dimensional measures as opposed to looking at disorder have found much higher rates so we, we also looked at this. We used the Strengths and Difficulties Questionnaire, which is a brief um, dimensional scale where you can add up symptoms and get a score. And if you take being in the normal range on all five subscales, it looks at behaviour, emotions, prosocial, um, attention um, and concentration type issues, and um, peer problems. Um, if you take the pro-social out, you can add all the other scales up. But if, you look, if you're in the normal range on all those scales, we're saying that you have good mental health. In the um, children who were looked after, it was only one in ten. Whereas in the British household sample, even in the most deprived group, which are families who are really up against it, um, they, it was still 50-50. You know, so 50% were scoring in the normal range. So I don't think we have underestimated the level of psychological distress. It's just that what we're talking about is disorder rather than good, positively good mental health. So even with the ones who wouldn't attract a formal psychiatric diagnosis, you're saying the rest of those often had very poor mental yeah. health. 
So what um, should clinicians, doctors, psychiatrists, psychologists listening to this who might deal with children actually in local authority care or be dealing with adults who formerly were, were looked after children, what should they take away from their paper in terms of, of what um, sh- should change the way they might look at these, these clients or manage them? Well, I think um, there has been such a move to get um, looked-after children teams up and running in child mental health services. I I would expect most of my colleagues in child and adolescent mental health to be very aware of these kids if if they're not. I mean, maybe they don't need their own service, but I think they they definitely need to get seen. And um, I think a particularly contentious issue for child mental health is the kids that are placed out of borough. And there are obviously huge fights which are resource-led about whether the borough the child lives in should see them or whether the borough the child comes from should see them. I think I would just plea with my colleagues to please just see them. These, these kids need a service because some of them have, for example, things like ADHD or post-traumatic stress disorder or depression for which there are evidence-based treatments. And actually some effective work from CAMS might make the difference between a school placement that fails or yet another failed home placement. For my adult colleagues, I would um, ask them to have a think about the children at home for the adult patients they see and to think about how is that family coping Um, because one of the strongest indicators or risk factors for child psychopathology is psychopathology in the parent because obviously you're less available to parent. So you're saying that parents who have a history of having been looked after themselves in local authority care, you feel there's a particular issue about the way they may be looking after their own children? I mean any parent with a mental health problem. Right. But I think particularly kids who have been looked after, when they have their own kids, they, they don't have a support network like other families do. Often they may not have a very good model, unless they've been in a really good foster placement, they may not have a very good model of parenting. They're often very young, um, they're often living in poverty-stricken circumstances, so that, you know, before they've had the child, they're up against it. And then they quite often have sort of four or five kids in quick succession, which would challenge most of us. Dr. Tamsin Ford, thank you very much indeed. Thank you.